Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we do sing of your amazing mercies, your endless mercies that you have poured out on us. You've forgiven our sins, and you've made us able to stand before you in worship. And we just pray for more of that mercies this morning. Would you come, Spirit, and minister? Would you take words that accomplish nothing by themselves, and would you apply them to our hearts? Would you come and encourage? Would you come and direct? And would you come and lift up the name of Jesus? And we pray this in the the name of your Son and for the glory of your kingdom. Amen. So my wife Evelyn and I, we have two children, Lauren, who's six, and Ryan, who just turned five. Both of them speak of loving Jesus and are eager to learn the things of God. But we don't know that they'll always walk with God. We don't know exactly what path God has laid out in front of them. So we eagerly search his word for all the promises that he gives us concerning children. And we search out in his word for all the things he has to teach us about raising children. And that's what we're going to do together this morning. Now, some of you know the pain of having children, especially grown children, who are not currently walking with God, who show no interest in the things of God. And my heart goes out to you. And so I want to encourage you right up front, keep praying. I don't imagine that you ever stop, but keep praying. Take encouragement from Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is a psalm that is recited at Jewish festivals of thanksgiving after childbirth. It is a psalm about families and children. And here's the middle two verses. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. But you know how Psalm 127 starts? With this very familiar verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. So unless God does the work, our work is pointless. It's in vain. So let's start out. First and foremost, let's recognize that the development of godly children requires a miracle. It requires God's direct involvement. The builders must build. The watchmen must stand guard. But ultimately, it is only God's power and God's sovereignty that builds strong houses and provides for safe cities and develops godly sons and daughters. So you whose children might be away from God for now, keep praying. Keep praying with the God who builds houses and who keeps cities safe. Now, some of you who don't have any children might be starting to tune out already. Let me give you some reasons why you should keep listening. Every time we have a... um, a baby dedication in this church, the parents stand up here and they commit to raising their children to worship the Almighty God. And we, the congregation, commit to enabling and helping them. So after these three vision messages, you will have a better idea of how to fulfill that commitment you've made as part of the congregation, how to pray for parents, how to encourage the parents who are around you, maybe how to help out in children's ministry. So let's move to our main text now. Psalm 78. Or we'll be spending the rest of our time. Psalm 78 was written by Asaph. Asaph was the chief singer of the temple uh, back in King David's time. 
And he wrote this song that rehearses God's awesome provision in delivering Israel from Egypt through the desert and into the promised land. And it also talks about Israel's unfaithfulness to God's covenant and the consequences both of his judgment and his mercy. Now, our focus this morning is particularly on the Psalms prologue, the first seven verses, where we will learn much of what God desires for children. The key verse is the last one, verse seven at the bottom. Then they, referring to the children, would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his command. Children who trust in God, children who remember his deeds, children who keep his commands. That's the strong house that we want to build. That's the city that is well worth guarding. So how do we do it? How do we raise children who trust in God? What is the environment that God has ordained wherein children like this are nurtured? Let's examine the answers that God gives us in this Psalms. It begins, verse 1. O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. So Asaph is going to teach us. Psalm 78 is a parable, a story with meaning. And there may be some things which are hidden, but he's going to bring them out and make them clear before us. Verse 3 goes on and says, What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. So Asaph is going to teach us, but he expects that what he's teaching is not new to us. We've already heard it. We've already known it. Why? Because our fathers have taught them to us. He expects our children have already taught us the things that he's about to go through. He expects our parents have taught us. Let's make that point a little more solid. We're going to skip four and move down to verse five. We'll come back to four in a couple minutes. Verse five. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So God commanded our forefathers to teach our children, to teach their children. Asaph is undoubtedly thinking about Deuteronomy six, as Sunder talked about last week, which is the first place in the Bible where children are commanded to be taught about the law. And in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, we read this. These, command, sorry, these commandments are, I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So the commandments of God are to be on the hearts of God's people. They, in turn, are to impress them on their children when sitting at home, when walking along the way, when getting up in the morning, when going to bed. Who is there in the morning when the kids get up? Who is there when the kids go to bed? Who is there when sitting at home? Who is there when walking along the way? Consistently, it's the parents. Dads and moms, we are the ones who are to teach our children about God. So this passage clearly shows the responsibility for teaching children about God lies on the children's parents. Not only on their forefathers, as it said in 78, and that includes grandparents, by the way, but on the parents, on mom and dad. Which brings us to our first point. The responsibility for teaching children about God lies on the children's parents. Not on their Sunday school teacher. Not on the children's pastor. Not on the church. God entrusts parents with this responsibility. And not only are parents given that responsibility, but there's a special note for fathers. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Both parents have authority. Both parents are to be obeyed. But a specific emphasis is laid on fathers to bring up our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the word training means, as used there, means strict discipline. The word instruction means correction by mouth, oral teaching. So, parents, uh, sorry, so fathers have a special responsibility to ensure that their children receive discipline training and deliberate instruction in the things of God. Now, that doesn't mean that only dad can teach. Mom might be a better teacher and do most of the training. But the responsibility is on the dads to see that it's done. Now, for those of you who are single parents, single moms or single dads, what I've just said might sound like yet one more burden laid on your already heavy shoulders. You already carry a load for two. Or you with unbelieving spouses or maybe spouses who are not diligent in spiritual matters. You're in a very similar position, carrying the load meant for two on one person's shoulders. Now, I have some idea of your struggles because I grew up in a, in a family that was largely fatherless and I saw the burden that my mother had to carry. So for those who are on their own, I do not seek to discourage you. In fact, I just want to encourage you and give you hope. So I prayed for you and I prayed for myself and I asked God to give me one of his amazing promises for people in that situation. And I believe he gave me this, Psalm 68. Psalm 68 speaks of God's care for the widows, those who are parenting alone, and for the fatherless, your children may be missing your spouse. And it says this, that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. So for those who are here trying to raise your children by yourself, it is my hope and my prayer that the God who sets the lonely in families will make this church, this body, your extended family to carry that burden with you. And I pray that here you'll find individuals in the children's ministry and through them you will find encouragement and able assistance in teaching your children because that's not to be left on you alone. Now, for all of us, how do you respond when God lays a serious responsibility on you? My prayer is that you'll respond promptly and with intensity and with faith-enabled courage. It's a serious thing that God will one day hold us accountable for the teaching of our children. But it's a joyous thing as well, because God never commands of us what he does not first provide for us to be able to do. So if God requires this of us, he will enable us to do it too. Have faith. As we strive hard and imperfectly to impress God's truth on our kids, he will enable us. But where do you begin? Let me give you two basic practical suggestions. First, begin by praying for your children. Every day, throw yourself and your feeble abilities at the feet of God and beg him to give you power and beg him to change your child's heart. Let me share with you a brief story of a praying parent. You know, I love to read Christian biography. I find few things stir my, my heart to worship and yearn after God short of his word. 
And I'm reading the biography of John Patton, a missionary back in the 1800s. But you know, as I found as I read it, I didn't so much want to be John Patton. I wanted to be John Patton's dad. His father was a Scottish peasant tradesman. Not a lot of formal education, not a lot of free time. But he knew how to train his kids and how to pray for them. And he'd go and pray for them in a little room they called the closet. And here's how John Patton described the effects of his father's prayers. There daily we saw our father retire and shut the door. And we children got to understand that prayers were being poured out there for us as of old by the high priest within the veil of the most holy place. We occasionally heard the echoes of a trembling voice pleading as if for life. Never in temple or cathedral, on mountain or in glen, can I hope to feel that the Lord God is more near, more visibly walking and talking with men than under that humble cottage roof. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal. He walked with God. Why may not I? Don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want them to look at your life and say, my mom, my dad walked with God. Why may not I? So pray for your children. Secondly, set aside time to regularly read the Bible with them. It sounds very simple and it's so vital. It's important for you yourself to read regularly through the Bible, but it is vital for you to do so with your children. Choose a Bible that's appropriate to their age and ability and attention span. There's a wealth of options out there. And let me encourage you to use the Bible itself, not a devotional book. There are many devotional books, and they have their place, but their place is not to replace the Bible. After all, God says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So God has only promised to bless his word. So use his word with your children. Let me illustrate from my own experience, not because my wife and I, Evelyn and I, are the best example. We're just the example that I know the best. So we started reading with our kids as soon as they could sit up on their own and pay attention for just a few minutes a day. And our first Bible was mostly pictures and a little bit of just simple text, two or three pages per story. Now, after we'd gone through this Bible a few times, we then moved on to another one that had more stories and a bit more text. And then finally, probably after about a year or so of reading, we moved on to another Bible with more complicated structure, more complete coverage, as they themselves grew in their ability to listen. Now we've, we've moved beyond the picture stage, and we're reading from them from a complete, if slightly simplified, version of the Bible. Remember, our kids are six and five. Even young children, even young children can listen to you read the Bible to them for five or ten minutes a day. So after having obtained appropriate an appropriate Bible, choose several times throughout the week when you can sit down and read with them. Evelyn and I read a passage with the kids basically every night just before bed, except on Saturdays when we get home late from church. And that schedule may or may not work for you. The point isn't to do it just the way we do it. The point is to make it a high priority to read the Bible with your kids. 
however often that might end up being. And you know, those regular readings of the Bible will show your kids what God looks like, what he does, what he values, how he interacts with people, what he requires of us. They'll be the starting point for many, many discussions on the most foundational values and priorities in life. It doesn't take a lot of knowledge. It doesn't take a, you don't have to know your Bibles that well. It doesn't take a lot of experience in Christianity to just sit down and read together for a few minutes. But with this practice, you'll be giving your children a wonderful foundation in the God in whom they're learning to trust. And you know, we're all going to need to experiment to learn how to do this. And, and sometimes we're going to do it wonderfully and regularly, and other times we're going to blow it completely and it won't work at all. But the important thing is to persevere. Persevere. Keep working at it. And as we persevere, we trust that God will build the house and that God will guard the city and God will make our efforts not in vain. So God commands the parents to teach their children. But what? What are we to teach them? Well, let's go back to that verse that we skipped over. Verse 4 and 5. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So what are we to teach? What's the focus of our teaching as we read through the Bible? What does it say here? The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done, the statutes he's decreed and the law that he has established. So we're to teach our children about God himself, what he's like and what he's done, and about what God commands. Or to put it another way is our second point. The substance of our teaching is God's character and his commands. So the substance, the focus of our teaching is on who God is, his character, and on his commands. And that order is not accidental as it's listed up there. Our children need to know first who God is and what he's like. And then in that context, understand what he's commanded of us. See, there's a real temptation to turn spiritual training of your kids into moralizing. Do good, because the Bible says so. Share your toys with your brother, because God wants you to share. All of which is true, but it's unbalanced. See, the Bible is first and foremost God's self-revelation, showing us what God himself looks like. And so that should be the main focus of our teaching. Not to teach our kids first how to act, but teach them first who God is. Obedience to God will flow out of worship of God. God has... I'm sorry. So Asaph gives us illustration after illustration of this truth throughout the rest of Psalm 78. These things that he describes, these things, remember, he said he's going to teach us in the rest of this psalm, are the things that we are to pass on to our children. And what he describes reveals to us God's character and God's commands. In teaching about who God is, Asaph uses several different names for God. The God Most High, the Holy One of Israel, our Rock, our Redeemer, from which we learn that God is the Most High. He is supreme above all things. He's holy. He's the foundation for our life, our Rock. He's the one who forgives us, our Redeemer. Asaph tells us much about God by relating what he has done. We learn that God is powerful. He brought plagues on Egypt. He divided the Red Sea. 
we learn that God is trustworthy and faithful. He set Israel free from Egypt. He led them day by day with cloud and with fire. We learn that God judges sin. At times, he's angry with the unfaithfulness and the untrustingness of Israel and puts many to death for their sins. And we learn that God is merciful, that he limits his wrath, that he forgives Israel's sins and ultimately delivers them from their enemies. So Asaph teaches us who God is, teaches us about God's character. But he also teaches us of God's commands. Although he doesn't specifically list the Ten Commandments or any of God's stated laws, he shows us what God requires by illustrating the failures of Israel throughout the psalm. That they complained about his abundant provision. They didn't trust him, even though he'd shown his power and faithfulness. They were rebellious and stubborn and worshipped other gods, and they worshipped him falsely with their lips and not with their hearts. So through these examples, he shows us some of what God requires of us to keep his commands, to believe and trust in his deliverance, to turn to him and remember who he is and what he's done, to worship him truly and to worship him only and nothing else. So that is what we are to teach our children, who God is, what his character is, and what he requires of us, his commands. All right, how? How do we do this? How do we teach our kids this? Well, keep praying for them and keep regularly reading the Bible with them. And, you know, as you feel more comfortable with the regular reading and as as your kids are more used to it, then I would begin to ask them questions as you work through the stories. If your children are young preschoolers, like mine were about a year or two ago, you start by asking them easy, obvious questions. God told Adam not to eat from the tree. Adam and Eve ate from the tree. Did they do what God wanted them to? To just begin stirring their thoughts. Now, as, they, as your children get older and more familiar, or if they start older, and they're more familiar with the Bible, you might want to make the questions a little less obvious, but only a little. It's not Bible study. It's just encouraging thinking about the stories as you read through them. Ask, sorry, my favorite questions are why and what. The why questions get the kids to think a little bit about motivation. Why did Adam eat the fruit from the tree. Just, again, to stir up that thinking. But an even more important question is to ask is what? If the Bible is God's, is primarily God's self-revelation, then every story has some answer to the question, what do we learn about God from this? What do we learn about God from this? So just ask your kids. Read the story and say, what do we learn about God from this? Jesus fed 5,000 people with five buns and two fish. What do we learn about God from this? He's powerful, that he cares. You know, and sometimes after you ask that question, the answer will just be silence or confusion. But often it can lead to a few minutes of really worthwhile discussion about God. Now, let's say you're already reading the Bible with your children and interacting with them, and you're looking for something else to do to to bring more of God into their lives. Well, one way will be through the use, using the material that children's ministry produces and sends home with your kids after Sunday school. Evelyn and I, as an example, we spent time with each of our children working through the 40 days of purpose material that the Sunday school made, where basically we would read a verse and there'd be a, a simple question there just to discuss a bit with, uh, before bed. Uh, we also enjoyed taking a few minutes um, to work through a prayer journal that children's ministry had made available early last year. And, you know, some evenings were just totally frustrating and totally impossible. People were too tired and too grumpy 
But other times we're rich and wonderful. So persevere and be patient with yourselves and be patient with your children. And our, tr- our trust and expectation is that as children ministry fleshes out its mission and its vision, which you'll hear more about next week, they'll continue to produce material that, that we parents can take home and use with our kids. So something Evelyn and I have done, in addition to build in more into our kids' lives, is to find a good teaching curriculum and begin using that with our kids. There are all sorts of things out there on the net, for example, that you could find. Um, now, this is just something that we've adopted. Not every family is going to want to do this sort of intensive training. I'm just illustrating how this worked out in our family. If you're looking for a further challenge with your kids. We've been using a Sunday school curriculum that was developed by John Piper's church. Um, and we've been delighted with it. It's divided into two sections covering the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament. And we've been using with for about three years now, 25 minutes, one day a week. And we've worked through the entire New Testament and halfway through the Old Testament in great depth. And we've been delighted to, to show our kids the great themes that come up over and over again throughout God's word. God's holiness, his judgment and his mercy. Humanity's sinfulness and need for salvation. God's forgiveness and faithfulness and his glory. So that's the bigger challenge. Start by praying for your kids. Start with some regular reading. Bring in some questions as you become more comfortable with the process. And then, maybe years later, as you get more used to spiritually training your kids, look at adopting other material, whether the children's ministry material or or some outside material, to continue to build intensively into your kids' lives. So, we've established our first two points. The responsibility for teaching children about God lies on the children's parents. The substance of our teaching is God's character and his commands. One more question. What is the goal of our teaching? What result are we to aim for? Well, Psalm 78 finishes off verses 6 and 7 this way. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. What a vision for your children. They would put their trust in God. Some other translations render that they would put their hope in God. So we're not just talking about kids that trust God, but kids that put all their trust in God, all their hope in God, their hope for security, their hope for the future, their hope for joy, their hope for perseverance, their hope for safety, to find all of that in God and nowhere else. And that they would not forget his deeds. And as we've seen, his deeds reveal his character but would keep his commands, putting all their hope, all their trust in God, who they know is faithful, who they know is powerful, they will be enabled to keep his commands. Obedience to God is the result, the fruit of knowing and trusting him. And trusting and obeying God are both forms of worship. So that brings our final point. The goal of teaching is that children would know God and worship him. The goal of our teaching is not the head, ultimately, but the heart. How will they know God? Well, as we pray for them, we pray that God will take what we put in their heads and apply it to their hearts. That as we teach our children to know about God, that he will draw them to himself, that they will know about him and that they will know him, be in relationship with him. How will they learn to worship God? Well, as our children learn about this awesome God, 
as they learn about his condemnation of sin and his provision for forgiveness, as they learn about the incredible blessings he pours out on those who love him, that all of this coming out of their exposure to the Bible, they will gain a proper foundation for worship. And if God draws them to himself and beg him that he will, then they will worship. Worship is the only possible response to truly recognizing who God is and what he's done for us. Hebrews 12:28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So worship comes from knowing who God is and knowing what he's done for us. So beg that God will draw them and make them true worshipers. And if they become true worshipers of this loving God who's poured out grace and blessing on them, then they will long to know how to obey this God. They will long to know how to keep from grieving their heavenly Father. And they will live obedient lives, submitting to God and finding in Him the power to persevere in the fight of faith, the ability to keep working and keep struggling in a struggle for holiness. Psalm 119.32 says, I run in the paths of your commands, for you have set my heart free. So God has to do that work in our children's hearts, set them free before they'll be able to run in his command, in the path of his commands. So those are our three points. And the four next steps that we've established are, first, pray for your kids. This is God's work. He's the one that builds the house. Next, read the Bible together. Make it a regular practice. Third, To work at deepen your teaching by asking questions and discussing as you read. And then finally, as you grow in this this practice, find ways to make your teaching even more complete and in-depth using the children's ministry material and possibly adopting other curricula. Now, finally, one last question. What's it all going to cost? Well, it's going to cost you some of your most precious resources. Time. It takes time to pray for your kids. It takes time to read the Bible with them. It takes time to discuss what you read and to use other materials. Now, it's not a ridiculous amount of time. If you're just starting out, let's say you just read the Bible for five minutes a day, six days a week with your kids. It's half an hour out of the week. When you start asking questions and discussing it, maybe it'll, maybe it'll double to 10 minutes a day, an hour a week. Even when you bring in the children's ministry materials or or other curricula, my experience has been that that adds just another hour. So two hours a week to build all of that into your kids' lives. It's not outrageous, but it is still precious time. And it's time that you'll need to deliberately schedule. This sort of training can't be squeezed into the gaps. It won't happen if you try to just squish it in. It's time that you may have to take away from other things, maybe other hobbies, other activities, maybe even other ministries, maybe from sleep. What if you decide it's too much? What if you decide that your, your, your family schedule is just too hectic, just too full to add anything else to it? Well, first of all, I'm not suggesting that you add training it to it. I'm suggesting that you replace You may have to replace something in your schedule to make that time. But that's between you and God. But before we leave Psalm 78, 
let's just see what God already has said about not training our kids. Psalm 78, verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Notice that first phrase. We will not hide them from their children. To not teach your children is not only to fail in a God-given and God-enabled responsibility, but it is, in fact, to actively deny them what they most need. It's to hide it from them, God says in Psalm 78. See, our most precious legacy, the most wonderful thing that we can hand down to our children is knowing God. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Or Psalm 119, 111. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. This is our legacy to our children and to our children's children and to our children after them. And, you know, I am no prophet, but I fully believe that our kids will face a more difficult time being a Christian in Canada than we can now imagine. It will be more difficult and more dangerous to be a witness for Jesus Christ in Canada in the years to come. Now, God's entirely in control, and he can change anything. But I'm just looking at the current trends. And if we are content now just to do the minimum, to just drop our kids off Sunday by Sunday and not talk to them between, then we are going to leave our kids under-equipped to deal with this difficult future. The Bible warns about those who have joy in the gospel but very little understanding of it. And when the sun comes up and it gets hot and the dry times come, they're like little plants that wither because they have no root. Or Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish builders. The wise builder built his house on the foundation of God's word, knowing it and doing it. And when the storm came, only the wise men had a house left standing. I think the storm is coming. And I think the dry times are coming. And so we need to make sure that our kids' roots run deep and that their houses are solidly built on the rock of the word of God. So some final words. For those whose children are currently away from God, keep praying. Keep praying. God is merciful. God loves to redeem. God is sovereign. To those who struggle day by day parenting alone, Give what time you can to teach your kids. The Bible tells another story of of Jesus watching people put money into the temple treasury boxes. And a widow comes along and puts in just two little pennies. And Jesus points at her and says, she gave more than all those other people who are pouring their contributions into the box because they are giving out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty. If you can manage, even at great cost, a few minutes a day to read the Bible with your kids, surely God will bless that. The widow's pennies. And if he blesses them, then those few minutes will accomplish much in transforming and shaping your children into becoming worshipers of God. So all of us, let's sacrifice 
Let's do it. Let's change our commitments. Let's revamp our schedules. Let's sacrifice the time. And let's look to the God who builds strong houses, who watches over safe cities. And let us pray and teach our children about this powerful, wonderful God who is worthy of all of our hope. Teach them that that he is worthy of all of their hope, all of their trust, all of their worship, and all of their lives. I'm going to make the altar open. And if you want to commit yourself to maybe beginning for the first time down this path, or maybe you want to recommit yourselves to continuing this, pursuing it with, with a fresh or a continued intensity to train up your children, and to see them grow to be worshipers of God. I want to make the altar available. I'll call the worship team up to the front, please. And as we're singing this next song, if you want to come up, I'll meet you here because I need this. I've asked Sri Sridharan, the, uh, the chair of the elders board, to come up. And he's going to pray a prayer of commitment and dedication over us. Now, you can stay in your seat if you're more comfortable with that and receive that blessing. But let me encourage you to come up and make that public recommitment too, to train up our children in the way that they should go. I wanted to just read a little part of Psalm 145. And I'm reading it as a prayer and as a blessing on you that what is said here will become true of you and your children and your children's children. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty deeds On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak, your children, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and I shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So my prayer for you is that you to your children will sing aloud of the righteousness of God and that they will answer back in pouring forth the fame of God's abundant goodness. Go in his name.